following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. We are turning back to the book of Nahum, where we have been. As you can see in your Bible, it doesn't take much space in the book of the Bible itself. Just a few, just three chapters and not that many verses. But the teaching here is very important. And there are a lot of things here for us to consider and to understand, give our attention to. I want to preface this morning by reading a few verses that I read before. And when I read those, I had those under a little heading saying, who is God? And I'm going to read those three verses again this morning to start what we're looking at now. The first one is found in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11. And it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom O Lord, and you are exalted head over all. The next one is Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. It says, Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. And the last of these is in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 4. It says, The Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Or as it is rendered in another translation, the NET, the Lord has worked everything for his own ends, even the wicked for the day of disaster. So God is God. In the book of Nahum, the first part in the beginning, it starts out by saying, the burden against Nineveh. Now that word, against, gets our attention. The burden against Nineveh. 
Now, we're going to get to that word again. And so what we've been looking at here then is I basically categorize the book and the three chapters with broad heading, uh, headings, one each for each chapter. And for chapter one, I talked about the, the certainty of God's judgment. The certainty. The certainty of the judgment that the prophet was pronouncing that was going to come against Nineveh. Certainty. That means you can take it to the bank and the check won't bounce. Certainty. In the second part, the broader raw heading was a description of God's judgment. So we get more detail about how this was going to play out in, in real time when the time came. And so we saw some of that. And then the last part or the last chapter with the broad head in which we said, well, the reasons for the judgment. God has reasons for what he does. And he tells us something about why this prophet's messages started with this phrase, the burden against Nineveh. And so we have these things here that are given to us. I'm going to pick up a few of the verses in these chapters and then move ahead beyond where we were before. But there are, I picked out verse 7, and I emphasize where it's located within that first chapter, about the things that are before and then the things that are after that particular verse. And there are some pretty hard things that are there. Before that, verse 7, which says, the Lord is good, just that part for now, the Lord is good, but in verse 4 it said, the Lord, and the last, verse 3, the last part of verse 3, the middle of verse 3, I guess it is, the Lord will not at all acquit the wicked. So, we have then two concepts. The one concept is that God is good, and the other concept is that God is a God of judgment. And so you have these two, these two things, a good God, and yet this burden is against Nineveh. So that brings us to an interesting situation. And then again in the first part of chapter 1 here, it does talk about various uh, things re- with reference to God as to how he views of what's going on here. He says he's jealous and he avenges and he's furious and all that. He takes vengeance against his adversaries. One of the things you can understand clearly from that is that a notion that some people have that God created the world 
as if winding a clock. And then he removed himself from it and had nothing more to do with it, to let it go on its own. But that's not what this text tells us. These phrases would be out of place if, if that was true. But these phrases are not out of place. They are the revelation of God to us. Now, after verse 7, notice what it says in verse number 9. What do you conspire? And then there's that word again, against the Lord. I've emphasized and tried to emphasize this before that for us to stand against God is a losing proposition. For in a nation to stand against God is a losing proposition. Shall I say for the our country to stand against God is a losing proposition. What will you conspire against the Lord? It says he will make an utter end of it. And so there's no value, there's no hope, there's nothing to be gained from standing in opposition to God. Now I want to move ahead a bit. I'm just the verses that we've covered before, you see, I'm just kind of going quickly over some of these, not to talk a lot, long time about them again now. In the beginning of verse, uh, uh, in the beginning of chapter two, and in verse number one, it says here, chapter two, verse one, he who scatters has come up before your face. Now, look at these. In my text, they have the use of exclamation points. And that's to grab your attention, to say, here's something dramatic now. He who scatters has come up before your face. So what to do? Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. Fortify your power, mightily. I call this a taunt. It's as if to say, you, Nineveh, you've been a strong nation. You've been strong for centuries. You think you are secure. You put together a sophisticated security plan and it has worked for you. And so now, some opposition is coming your way, and this is what you do to get out of it. But the prophet knows that for Nineveh, there is no escape. And so, a taunt. A taunt. They say, well, you know, you should do everything that would be normally done and the idea is that if you just do that, you'll be okay. 
We know that the history of the world is a history of, of people, groups, conquering one another, overrunning one another, displacing one another. That's the history of the world, and it's still that way now. So when the prophet comes in and says these kinds of things about this city of Nineveh, there's an element involved that you might miss if you just read the secular history accounts of history. Because the secular accounts of history are not going to keep you informed as to where God, what God is involved, what God's involvement is, or even that he is involved at all, or even that he cares what happens. But we can read biblical history, and we can see that God is still on the throne and that he ever reigns, and none is superior to him, and his ends will be accomplished. Because I'm against you. Babylon is going to come into Jerusalem. And they're going to bring to Jerusalem what the Assyrians brought to the northern kingdom. The Medes and Babylonians and I think Scythians joined together against the Lord. Now, it's quite something, though, to have that statement for the Lord to say that I'm against you. In uh, verse, let's see, which verse is that? Verse number 13, again in chapter 2 of, of Nahum. And this is what the Lord says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I am against you. That's a powerful word. And that's one of the things that I keep saying to myself over and over again and to you that that's really a bad place to be. We don't want to be there. That's a bad place for any country to be. But one of the things that we note in scripture is that God has identified a people called Israel. He created that people. He, he formed them. And he made them a servant for his own purposes, for the blessings of the whole world. We see in Genesis 12 a promise, a covenant with Abraham. One of the interesting things in that is that God has said, well, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. So 
Israel has that special place. But what about Israel herself? And this is one of the things where Israel got things, shall we say, topsy-turvy in their behavior and their conduct. Because some of them seem to think that because they were God's special people, that he had a different standard for them. But this against you. I want to turn to a section of scripture. Because we, we see that in this book of Nahum, it's, it's Nineveh that's in the crosshairs. But let's look at Jeremiah. Now, this is what, this is, what is in a future for, um, this is future to, to Nahum. But I just want to draw to see how God has a standard and he applies it. Now, in this section, I'm going to read the whole chapter here. It's very short, only 14 verses. In chapter 21 of Jeremiah, Now, but first I will read verse 13. Verse 13 says, Behold, I am against you. Behold, I am against you. He's not talking about Nineveh in that verse. Let's go to verse 1. The Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Hamasiah, the priest, saying, Please inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, Turn, uh, thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans, who besiege you outside the walls, and I will assemble them in the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. I will strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, they shall die of a great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants, the people, such as are left in this city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, 
into the hand of thy enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. Now you shall say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good. God is good. But he said he set adversity against the city. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And concerning the house of the king of Judah, say, Hear the word of the Lord. O house of David, thus says the Lord, execute judgment in the morning and deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil. Note the word, because. Because of the evil of your doings. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitant of the valley and rock of the plain, says the Lord, who say, who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter our dwellings? But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, says the Lord. I will kindle a fire in the forest. It is shall devour all things around it. So when God says, Behold, I'm against you, how shall I say it? That is a bad place to be. For any nation, any person, it's just a bad place to be. But this is where Nineveh found itself. Where the God says, I am against you. And those kinds of expressions, now I have a, a, quite a list of other verses that bring that very point, but I'm not going to refer to those now. I'm just going to skip over those. I think the point is made that I was trying to get just from that one section. So now, so then we press on then. And in this chapter 2, uh, A verse, let me get into the right book here, and then I'll see what I'm looking for. Okay, now I'm back here in Nahum. And so we just took a little aside from verse number 13 about the Lord being against, against them, against Nineveh, against the Assyrians. 
Now I want us to, to begin to look into chapter 3. Chapter 3 here. And I said that chapter 3 focuses on the reasons why Nineveh is in the condition that it's in. But first I want to draw your attention to three words that occur in the first five verses here. The first one of those three words is in the first verse, the first word of chapter three. You see that word? It says, woe, <laughs> woe. Woe is an attention, is an attention, attention grabbing word. Woe grabs the attention. The next word I want to draw your attention to is in verse number four of chapter, I'm still in chapter three. And that word is the first verse, I mean, is the first word in that verse. You see that word? Because. So, woe, because. And you might look and say, well, no, what his next word is that I'm drawing your attention to. If you look at verse 5, you see the first word there? It says, behold. And so I'm just drawing your attention to those words before we look a bit more at what the content is that falls under those words. But, uh, woe, because, behold. I think that kind of organizes the mind a little bit around what's, you say, well, now, I have an expectation of something. Woe means that obviously something not so pleasant is about to be pronounced. Something not so jolly is about to be uh, presented. And then the because, that's, uh, that's a causal expression. It's it's a, a purpose clause in a sense because it's saying the woe material that comes, that there's a reason for it. It didn't just pop out of the air. It just wasn't a happenstance or just something that, you know, an accident or an incident or however people like to express things. A because, and then... Behold, so, well, this, because of this, behold, I better pay attention here. Better pay attention. So what is God doing here through this prophet? He says, woe to the bloody city. Now, that's an indictment. He said they're guilty, they're blood, they're blood guilty, they're guilty a bloodshed. Shall I use the expression criminal bloodshed? Because we do know that under God's law there is a place for bloodshed that's not criminal. That's not what he's talking about here. Criminal bloodshed, he says. That's, that characterizes the city that you have. Then it says, it is full of lies and robbery. Uh -huh. Full of lies and 
robbery. You know what? This prophecy was written a long time ago. Over 2,000 years ago. But somehow it seems and sounds to me as if they were reporting on our world today, right now. It seems like it's a contemporary address full of lies and robbery. It is quite disturbing sometimes to hear some of those and from the mouths from which they come broadcast. But that's the nature. That was a characterization of what Nineveh was like. And that's so it says here, so, so they, were, they were bloodthirsty. They were guilty of criminal bloodshed. And they had lies and they had robbery. And that, that was what, what they did. I mean, just through and through. And then it says, it's victim never departs. Victim never departs. So these are reasons why God is concerned and why God has just said, there's time now for intervention. Because these things will only run for so long before God says, the end, no more. I'm not going to tolerate it at all anymore. See, we read in Chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says the Lord is slow to anger. But it also said that he is great in power. And so slow to anger. And so he's calling them up short. So a description of what is going on here. These are dramatic terms here, the reasons for the judgment. But listen to the next part here. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of chattering chariots. So this is speaking about warfare in that time. They had these chariots with these attachments or the way that they were designed. They could just rush right on through that battlefield and just mow down whatever was in its path. Devastating instruments of warfare. Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpse. So what the prophet is saying is that when this judgment comes, this is what it's going to look like. Dead people everywhere. And the people who are trying to, to move about, they're stumbling over the dead bodies because there are so many of them. You know, in our time, the tank <laughs> is a dreaded piece of military equipment. And you can imagine what it must be like if the one army is driving towards the other with a battery of tanks and the other people 
the most powerful weapon they have is a rifle or a shotgun. You can imagine the terror and the horror. I think that's the idea of what this was like when they came with these chariots. These were horrifyingly devastated instruments of warfare and all the carnage left behind by those things is unimaginable. But it didn't have to be. (laughs) That's the thing. It didn't have to come to that. But, see, God had given to them opportunity. God had given to them their wherewithal to be able to make certain choices. And they did. But the thing is, they could choose certain options as to what they were going to do. But the problem is, you know what the problem was and is now. They could not choose the consequences of the actions. They couldn't choose what would be the consequence of the action. That was God's business. That's why it's important to understand what God says. Because he says certain actions will have certain consequences. And in many places, he tells specifically what those consequences will be. And he did it for Israel. He laid out for them. We read in Deuteronomy, in I think 20, chapter 28 or whatever, he said, you do these things, and he gives a list, and he said, you will be blessed, and you will be long living in that land. And then he gave another list, and he said, well, but if you do these things, then this is what's going to happen, and you will be displaced from your land. So they had an opportunity. But this says, this came to this point. And so because of that, God said, well, I'm going to humiliate you. I'm going to bring humiliation. That's what the next section is here. I'm going to humiliate you before the whole world. So that all the world and surrounding nations who have been looking at Assyria and seeing the magnificence. You know that one section about the lions and all that, and I didn't get, I didn't speak much on that. But when you look at the historical documents and encyclopedias and all that, and you see these big lions that they have, and, and so they're proud of themselves of being like a lion, you know, ferocity of a, of a lion and, and all that. But uh, that's, none of that has, a, has, has any sustaining ability because when God brings the judgment, none of that matters at all. And so he, God, has the power to humiliate a nation that had been perhaps the most powerful nation on the earth for a long time, decimating people left and right. And they felt they were very secure. And God says, I'm going to bring you to your knees and I'm going to expose you to the whole world, just everybody to see uh, what you are about. And so he says here now, in verse number four, because of the multitude of harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and the families 
through her sorceries. So all the wickedness that they were doing, it's like they, all of this was very attractive. It's like glitter, and people were drawn in. And, and they were drawn right on in to the, uh, to, to, to be crushed and decimated. And so they began to adopt those practices. And so they brought harm to nations who adopted those evil and vile, foul practices, sorceries, harlotries. And the harlotries, you know, we, we, we talk about idolatry and all that kind of stuff and, and all kinds of uh, false worship and, and all those things. And they, they brought all that in. And so the Lord says, Behold, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. He says, I'm going to shame you before the world. You mighty Nineveh. You're going to be humble before the almighty God. I will cast abominable filth, this is verse 6 in chapter 3, upon you and make you vow and make you a spectacle. Now, think about the, those who were the, I was thinking those who, who wrote about Assyrians and Nineveh in their heyday and those among them who were prognosticating perhaps what would be their future, would, there, would any of them have anything even resembling this sort of thing? It would be as far from the imagination as one can think. It would, it would be far away. It, they would never even have anything. I, th- I would beg you to find anything that even, even suggests of that for those who were, because you see the way that they would write their history, they were the dominant people, and they expected to remain that way. That's not to say that there was no one wise within their ranks who could see the handwriting on the wall. It's not to say that at all. But you think when you read the official documents, you're not going to find it. So what is all this telling us? Well, it's telling us we have a God who is living. God says he's the God of the living. And we have a God who is living. And we are his, and we, we, have, to, we have to submit to him, uh, the God who is the true God. That's why we're here, because we want to understand better who God is and who we are. You know, the Bible does say that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And so how are we going to be able to not be the victims of the deceitfulness of our own hearts? One of the ways of, well, that uh, I can say really there's only one 
assured way. I guess secondary would be, but this, the Bible, that's what is here. I mean, if we, if we want to avoid that, then we have to pay attention to what the Bible is telling us. We have to pay attention to what God is saying and what he's doing and what he requires and how he's made for us the helps that we need and that we can depend upon him. We can have our faith in him. The Lord knows those who trust in him. We read that right here from Nahum. We close with prayer. Our Father in heaven, it has been our privilege this morning to gather in this room and across the uh, ways of the technology. And we ask merely that you cause it to not have been a time spent in vain for any ear who spoke or heard or will the words of the Lord. Help each one of us. We need it. Your help, dear Lord. We ask in the name of Christ the Savior with thanksgiving. Amen.